0: And, uh, man, it has been good today. And, it, no, I don't believe Jesus had long hair. Um, I'll go ahead and throw that out there. Um, <laughs> but uh, I guess maybe in heaven we'll at least have a little bit. And uh, I, uh, I've i not had much hair on this side in quite some time. And um, I guess when I was a little kid, I, we were at a church uh, last week, uh, last week, week before last, and uh, they gifted me. Um, my yearbook from when I was in the third grade. And uh, I was a member of the church when I was in third grade. We were back through for a missions conference. And um, and then we were at one back first of the year that I was a member of when I was in fourth to seventh grade. And they put a video together of all these different plays that I was in when I was a kid and all kinds of stuff. And I had hair. But somehow I lost some of it. I'm not sure. Still trying to figure out why I can't get any grow here. Um, most of us are concerned. We pray for you. We just don't know what to do. Uh, And so we we rub the hair right off our head. And uh, I guess that's how it works. I don't know. But uh, it has certainly been good to be here. Uh, You can turn your Bible to uh, Acts chapter 20. Um, And and what I'll do, I've already shared a little bit about the people uh, from the field. Um, And uh, I left these pictures here. These are no longer my pictures; these are yours all right um and uh, so take some with you, take one with you um if if some of them stay, bring them back and forth if you want to pray for them um, they do me no good. I can go print some more at Walmart two dollars and sixty something cents I can get all of them over again all right and um and I'll print more and um when when your pastor asked me to preach, um uh, we were on the phone and and you preachers will understand this. Sometimes, sometimes we don't know what God wants us to preach, and other times the Lord tells us. Uh, we were on the phone, and the Lord put it on my heart what to do. And um, and I had not. I, I've handed pictures out before, um, early on in deputation. Uh, I was in a church the first time I ever did it was in New Mexico, and um, I I told the Lord I'd do it any time He wanted me to do it, but I try not to make a habit of it. And um, and I've only done it twice since I've been back this year. Uh, but when we were on the phone, Lord, put it on my heart. And uh, because I believe that uh, sometimes we've just got to step back and realize what our missions giving actually does. Um, it's not, as I said before, and I'm not going to try to repeat it all again, it's about the people. And uh, when the missionary goes to the field, it's about the people. Um, we, we as missionaries have this weird position, we're trying to work for the Lord, we're trying to do the work on the field, but we're also trying to to some extent make sure our churches are happy with what we're doing. But we're not doing it for the churches, but at some extent we are doing it for the churches. And it's a weird, it's a weird thing. I don't really know how to put it into words, but at the end of the day, whether any church likes what I do or not, I'm going to reach the people. And I want to make sure I honor God with that. And um and so the mission is about the people, but I, I'll tell you just a little bit about what the Lord is, uh, has done in our lives in the ministry down there. Um, we, when we arrived there several years ago, we filled in for Brother Mitchell. Um, I mentioned that. Uh, we came back um, shortly after that. Uh, we had Emily. Um, we, my wife had her. Um, she's shocked right now. She knows what's going on. I was talking about when you were born. All right. And um, we had Emily. And then we raised a little bit more of our support. Went back down to the field, spent a little more time down there. Uh, A couple years we were there, and then we came back and had Everly. And uh, there you go. She looked at me, uh, making sure they stay awake this afternoon. And uh, and went back down there. When we went, when we were down there, not the first term, but our second one, we started the church uh, in Padgett Farm. We started really doing Bible studies. Uh, We had Bible studies on the road. if you get my prayer card, there's a QR code on the back. Scan that with your smartphone to take you to our website. We got a video kind of shows you a little bit about that. Um, but but in that we started uh, trying to meet on the road, trying, trying to have Bible studies wherever we could have them. Uh, the Lord allowed us to get a gospel tent. When we set up that gospel tent, um, gospel tent ministries, I, I believe a lot of people shy away from them, but I believe that those are some of the greatest things that we can do, because as I said earlier you can reach people out there a lot easier than you can reach them in here. Um, if you can get them out there, it's a whole lot easier to get them in here. And you'll know this, is if, you're around, if you're around people, you fellas going to the mission field, you know this, well, you're a little different. Uh, <laughs> they don't go to church. Uh, but you fellas in the other countries, when you're there, they'll come to a tent a lot faster than they'll come to a church house. Um, and I know every country is different, every people are different. But I've seen it work in a lot of places. They'll come to and and being in Scotland, um, they you set a tent up, somebody's going to come to it. Why? Because there's churches on every corner, but there's not a tent on every corner. People come out of curiosity. If I can get them under the tent, I can preach to them. Um, I've had every drunk person in the world just about come through the (laughs) the tent and uh, it caused problems and everything else. But I want to get the gospel to them. And um, and so the Lord put it on a heart to do a tent. I had never run a tent meeting before. I'd never owned a tent. I'd helped put one tent up uh, for a church service and preach under a tent one time. The rest of that, I'd never really been around it. I mean, I'd been in some tent meetings as a kid and stuff, but I'd just never anything I knew about. So it was all new to me. And uh, the Lord put it on our heart to do it. Uh, we got the tent. The Lord worked all these things out. We got the tent down there. Uh, we had people get saved through that first tent meeting. And then shortly thereafter, um, we, we were able to start meeting in our, um, our church. Uh, we rented a building. We had to do a lot of work fixing it up. And uh, the Lord just opened up a lot of doors there for us to be able to have services there on the island of Bequay. Okay. So I mentioned the islands. Y'all, I don't know if you know where that is. Um, we are in the southern end of the Caribbean. Okay. So St. Vincent and the Grenadines, we're right north of Grenada. I saw you had a track for the Grenada Bible Project. So Grenada is to the south of us, so right north of us um, is St. Lucia, uh, you've got Barbados, you've got several islands right around there, uh, but we are at the very bottom of the Caribbean. And, um, and so we've been on Beckway, uh, we have been working with other churches, but also church planning for the last eight years uh, there in Beckway. And so we've got a man there by the name of Brother Ozzy. Uh, Brother Ozzy is from Beckway, he moved to the British Virgin Islands, got saved, called to preach, Hurricane sent him back to Beckway, and uh, since he's back in Beckway, um, he went through a couple of other churches, ended up at ours, and uh, doctrinally, we agree. That's why he's not at any of the other churches. They just kept sending him on his way, and uh, the last church he was a member of uh, was the Evangelical Church, and he was preaching there. We became friends, and we would discuss things back and forth about what he was going to preach, what I was going to preach. And he told me one day, he said, I really feel like the Lord wants me to preach on a woman's role in the church. And uh, I laughed at him. I said, Brother Ozzie, that ain't going to fly there. And uh, it's a woman-run church. And uh, sure enough, he preached it. And uh, a couple weeks later, he joined up with us. And uh, so they sent him on his way. But Brother Ozzie's uh, in our Bible Institute that we, we help teach him. And, uh And he's growing in the Lord. He's taking the work. He's doing a good job. Uh, but I want you to pray for Brother Ozzy. We're hoping that Brother Ozzy will take the work there in Beckway. So when we go back in November, uh, we will be going to the island of Kenwan and Union. And uh, we will find a house on one of those islands and live there. And then um, we've got a boat. The Lord gave us a yacht. We were talking about stuff earlier. Uh, I have a boat that God gave us. Um, we, I was mentioning this earlier to some of the folks. Uh, I, I never knew anything really about a boat. Um, I mean, as far as running boats and operating boats, stuff like that, I'm, I'm inexperienced in that. But the Lord put it on my heart, and um, and so I follow the Lord. And um, it, it's weird because you know you always, you know, missionaries are always raising money for something, you know, Bibles and tracts and buildings. And then I here I am show up and say, hey, I need to buy a boat. And um, man, then I put a picture of the boat out there, and they're like, that's not a boat, that's a yacht. Well we we were able to raise money for a boat we we looked for what uh what type of boat would work for what we wanted to do we needed something we could sleep on but also be able to travel fuel efficiently between the island state and stability um i looked at sailboats because i thought well you know you can set, sail for free but if you ever look at it it's the most expensive way to sail for, to, to travel for free um and when you have a sail that goes bad i mean you're talking twenty thirty thousand dollars to replace them and I was like, Lord, I don't think I want a sailboat. And uh, so we started looking at a powerboat. And uh, still expensive to change out motors, but they typically don't fail every five years. And, uh, and so we, we started praying about it. And I found a boat, and I started praying about it. Well, it sold. And as we were raising money for it, I mean, it was a little bit coming in at a time. And, but I just trusted the Lord. I said, Lord, you put it on my heart. And uh, so we just kept praying about it. Uh, God's people started sending it in. And I had a guy contact me, and he said, call this fella; He's got a boat for sale. So I called him, explained to him what I wanted to use it for, all this kind of stuff. Well, he called me back, and uh, he told me, he said, here's what I'll do. He said, I owe $130,000 on this boat. He said, if you'll raise the money for that, I'll give it to you. And so we, we set out to raise it. The Lord sent in the money for it, little by little. Now, I know there's a lot of people that tell you, you know, that God gave big lump sums of money uh, you know, towards these projects, and I was praying that. And I was like, Lord, you know, if somebody just write a $100,000 check, God, you know, you could have somebody write a $50,000 check. Or maybe the man just ended up giving us the boat. You know, and I, I was praying all those things thinking that's, you know, God works in big ways. The, the largest check we had was less than $5,000. God raised $130,000 for a boat. I bought that boat from that guy, flew down, bought the boat from him. And the day I bought the boat, the guy basically explained to us, there was a guy across the marina. I could sh- he showed me the boat. He said, the fellow that lives there or owns that boat, he's- he showed me the check written for $230,000. The guy offered him $230,000 for the boat, and the guy chose to sell it to me instead. Turned down $100,000 so that we could have a boat to be able to use for the ministry. And, um, and so we've used it a little bit. COVID messed up a lot of those things. You know, everybody's plans went out the window with COVID, and I couldn't really use it very much. Um, not for really what I intended to. I ended up living on the boat for a while. And, um, and, but it opened up a lot of opportunities for us uh, to witness to people, share the gospel. But when we get back down there, uh, we will live on either Kennewan or Union, uh, wherever the Lord gives us a house. Um, and then we will use the boat to travel between both of those islands. It will be about an hour-and-a-half boat ride every time we travel between there, and we will begin planting two churches at the same time uh, on those two islands. And so uh, between there is the island of Miro. Uh, I left, uh, I, or I'll make sure I leave some of those bookmarks here. Uh, you can get those bookmarks and pray for each of those islands, if you will. And, uh, but, uh, but in that, we pray that we can get two churches started on Kenawan And Union, and then on Myro, I don't know what we'll do there. Uh, Some kind of outreach. I don't know if we'll start a church there. I'll leave that one up to the Lord. I don't have direction yet. Um, And the Lord may send someone else to do that. I don't know. Um, But we're praying that we can do our part in trying to reach them with the gospel there. We also work with several of the national pastors um, and church planning, trying to help others. Uh, They haven't done it yet, but we're hoping to be able to help some other men with church planning on some of the other islands. And, um, and I can't remember. I, I know, um, Brother Nick, you may remember me mentioning before we, we have one tent, and uh, I've been praying that the Lord would give us two tents. And um, was praying about it and uh, got back, and we have a whole tent ministry that was given to us. Uh, it's got tent, chairs, everything. And uh, I, I was told a tent, and it was about two weeks ago I found out it was everything. I was still trying to think about how I'm going to get chairs, how I'm going to get all this and uh, so now I have a second tent. Well, I told you we were praying for three, and uh, I drove, uh, I was talking with uh, Brother Samuel, uh, not this Brother Samuel, uh, Samuel Freed, my mind just went blank. Brother Samuel Freed, I was talking with him about the tent, and uh, I said something about, man, we could use a box truck and move that tent, because I've got a tent, but I got to get it out of the trailer so I can move it, and a uh, I said, man, a box truck would work good. So I pulled my phone out, opened up Facebook Marketplace. First truck I see says gospel tent ministry on the side of it. And uh, I was like, well, there we go. And uh, so I started reading the thing, and they've got a 60 foot tent in it with chairs. And uh, so I went and looked at the truck. It's over in Andrews, North Carolina. It has air brakes. I don't have my CDLs. But the guy wants, like, Four grand for the for the truck and the tent. The truck's it's a 1982 uh, Ford 7000. Got a diesel engine in it. 24 uh, foot box truck. And uh, he said, if you have if you buy the truck, you can have the tent. And uh, so if anybody knows someone who wants a box truck, uh, I'll sell it to you. Uh, I just want the tent out of it. And uh, <laughs> but uh, but I talked with the guy. The guy's a uh, he speaks Spanish. He's Southern Baptist, and uh, but he believes the King James Bible, as far as I could tell. Um, and, uh, but he uh, pastors in, in Murphy, North Carolina, but uh, he, he don't need the tent. I said, well, I said, if you sell the truck, I said, would you just give the tent away? He said, I might. So I have just left it with him, and uh, we're praying about it. If the Lord works it out, maybe we can get that second tent. And uh, so y'all pray with me. The tent was used uh, by an independent Baptist pastor. Uh, he used to go out to South Dakota, work with the Sioux Indians, uh, but he passed away about five years ago. The truck sat his family didn't want it anymore, and they sold it. So this man's got it, been sitting on his property for five years, not doing anything. And I thought, man, wouldn't it be great uh, to get that tent out? I don't know if the tent's in good shape. Uh, I wouldn't pay any money for it until I set it up, and, um, but we're hoping maybe we can get all that. And, um, and so y'all pray with us about that. That would give us two tents, and what we would use those for is setting up to have church on both of those islands and then be able to have a third tent to be able to do evangelistic meetings uh, with other pastors. And so uh, if we couldn't use it, I'd get it to somebody else that could. And the uh, last thing I want to do is see something like that rot. And uh, I'd rather it be uh, used. My tent right now is set up uh, housing a, a fair family of Rostafarians um, that their house is burned down. And the Brother Mitchell uh, set it up and uh, is taking care of them. They're they're using that. Uh, and some of those Rostafarians are actually getting to hear the gospel where they never would come to church, their house burned down and a pastor, Brother Mitchell, is trying to help take care of them and be kind to them and was able to get the gospel to them. And uh, you said, well, I thought that was a gospel preaching tent. Well, sometimes it's people sleep under it and they can still hear the gospel. And, um, and so whatever we can do to get the gospel to them, we want to try to do. And uh, so pray with us about our ministry uh, that the Lord has uh, put us in and it's exciting. And to see what the Lord's going to do, and to pray the Lord do do more. And I told the Lord, I just want to be used. I don't care if it's scrubbing the toilet. I don't care to be behind the scenes. I just want to be used by the Lord. And, um, and so y'all pray with us about that. Um, I want to give you just something. The Lord put on my heart. I, I told you earlier, I knew exactly what the Lord wanted me to preach this morning. And uh, I, But I've been struggling about what to preach for this afternoon. Because I know everybody's ready to take a nap. And uh, we got one already asleep, Malachi there, not mine. Um, but the pastor's Malachi, he's done asleep, and uh, so hopefully he'll be, oh, we got two asleep. Anybody else asleep? Wake up, Brother Nick. Uh, Malachi, my Malachi said he's about to fall asleep. I'm not going to be long. I just simply want to give you a thought this evening, or I guess this evening, this afternoon, um, just from heart. But in Acts chapter number 20, um, my, my wife told me the other day I need to really shorten this message. Um, I, I'm not preaching that one. But I, I preach a message out of, out of Acts chapter number 20, and I'll be honest with you, it's one of those messages as a preacher, it was a series, okay? But I try to squeeze everything in if I can. I, I typically only preach five points and the rest of it I just kind of throw at you. But in Acts chapter number 20, Paul outlines the pattern of the church, all right? And he gives us 18 things here in the book of Acts chapter 20 that outlines a lot of the priorities and, and really what the church ought to be doing. And I'm not going to give you those this evening. That's not where I'm going to be at. Um, But then when you get down to about about verse number 32, uh, he says this to the church. He says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. So, After Paul gives them a pattern of the New Testament church, and you can read that, uh, really Paul just outlines basically what he did, tells the church at Ephesus, do what I did. The way that I was before you for three and a half years or three years is the way you ought to live. You want your church to work? This is how God wants to do it. So take Acts 20 and just walk through those things. Paul, I mean, he goes through it all. He lays everything out there. But then he does this, he says, and now I commend you to God. He says, look, here's what you're supposed to do. You've watched me, you've saw what I've done, all right, this is how I lived, you saw how God's blessed me, now I commend you back to God, and I want you to go do it. And so what he does, he gives them the pattern of the New Testament church, and then he explains to them the power of the New Testament church, and that power is the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ is the reason that we can do what we do. It's not in me. The missionaries learn when we get on the field, it's not us. The pastors know it's not them. It is all God. When we do things for the Lord, it's not us, it's Him. And so when we rely on the Lord, we're able to do more. I mean, I could get out there, uh, you know, uh, you you pull in a truck and a trailer, pull in a trailer with your truck, it's a whole lot easier to sit there and just use your foot and rely upon the power of that truck than try to get out there and pull it. I mean, I've watched those strong men competitions. You know, they put a rope in their, their mouth and they pull a truck with their teeth. Right? It never moves fast. And I don't know that I want to try that. I don't think you'd want to pull a hot shot load like that. No. But you'd rely upon the truck. The same thing is for us in this Christian walk. You say, that's so simple. It is. In my life, I can do a whole lot more relying on the power that God has than the power that i have now who's driving the truck you and i are but we're relying on the power of the lord and so he gives us that outline here he says look i commend you to god and his word okay god gave us a word and we ought to obey it we ought to follow it okay so when we follow god's word it leads us in the right way we find in verse 32 the prophet of the church now what are we in it for Really? You say, well, I just want to go to heaven. I don't. I mean, I want to go to heaven. Don't to me wrong, but that's not all I want. Right. I want to be able to take other people with me. Amen. Amen. I mean, those rewards, I mean, we talk about the rewards. I don't know what I'm going to get, but I do know that when I get to heaven, some of my rewards will be people like Miss Rochelle, uh, people like Miss Anne Marie, uh, people like Princess, people like, uh, like some of these others that are born again. Well, those are a crown. Those are some things that I look forward to that Moth and Rust don't corrupt. Right? So when I get to heaven, there'll be people that I get to say, no, and it's not a boastful thing. I didn't save them, but I got to have a hand in it. There's people that I, I've given out. You missionaries know this. We've we've given out tracts from, from coast to coast. I've given tracts out all the way in California. We've been out there. I've given tracts out near, uh, near uh, Vegas and all that. I, we went... Into Vegas and I got out of Vegas real quick. And I met a couple, I met a guy, they were out of gas, I bought them gas, gave him a gospel tract, got to preach to him a little bit. And I've always wondered, Lord, I wonder what ever happened to them. We don't know. But you know what the profit of the ministry is? One day we get rewarded for it. But I look forward to seeing people. I want to walk, I want to walk that street of gold and be like, hey, I've been witnessing to you. Or I'd like to be there and somebody walk up and say, hey, you remember giving a track to that guy on the side of the road? And I'd be like, no, no idea. Well, I was him. (laughs) I remember one time early on, man, I was working at the Bible camp and uh, I, I was living there and I was going to a church and I can't remember who was preaching or something. And I drove to a church in Alabama, got all the way down there and forgot that two things messed me up. One day it was time change. All right? Messes everybody up. And I drove into Alabama not thinking. I was like an hour and a half early for church. Okay? And they had a gate. You couldn't get into the church property. So, right up from the church was a cemetery. So, no gate on the cemetery. So, I pulled up in there, pulled all the way up the top of the hill, and, uh, and I, I was listening to some music there. I, I was reading my Bible. I was praying. I was trying, And I saw a truck pull in. I'm stopped over by a grave. And you know what the Holy Spirit did? He said, go witness to it. And I thought, Lord, that's crazy. I'm in a cemetery. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here in a cemetery. I'm going to talk. To no. I tried to read my Bible, and finally I was like, all right, Lord. So I drove my car down there, and I got out, went and started talking to the gentleman, shared the gospel with him. His name was Truman. His wife had died. He visited her grave every Sunday. He told me that. And witnessed to him, and he he we talked a little bit. He had throat cancer, and had his throat, you know, part of his esophagus taken out. and We, we had a long conversation. He said he might come back. He might die from it, all this other stuff. We were just talking. Well, I finally got to give him the gospel and shared the gospel with him. And Man, he, I mean, tears running down his face, but he would not get saved. And finally, the Holy Spirit just said, leave. So I left, went to church, and, you know, I asked the church to pray for him. I don't know if they ever did. And uh, I went home. It was a couple months later. I'm laying in bed. It's like 5 o'clock in the morning, and the Holy Spirit wakes me up, says, go see Truman. And I told the Lord, I said, Lord, that man's probably dead, you know, because I know more than God, you know. And I was like, Lord, I don't want to get up. So, I mean, it's like an hour drive, hour, 20-minute drive. I was like, Lord, I just don't know. And I kept trying to get out of it, kept trying to get out of it. And finally, I was like, all right, God wouldn't leave me alone. I wasn't sleeping. I might as well get up and drive. So I got up, driving I, I mean, I'm look, old me of little faith, I get all the way down there, and I'm like, Lord, the man's probably dead. I pull in, walk up to the grave, and look, it was a double gravestone, for one for his wife, it had all of his information, but no death date yet. And I was like, well, I guess he hadn't died yet. And I turn around to walk back to my car, and guess who pulls in? Truman. I walked up to his truck, and I said, Truman, you may not remember me. He said, David, I remember you. Called me by names months later. He said, you left here. And he said, I sat here in my truck, prayed you'd come back. He said, I want to get saved. Truman got saved that day. You know, I've never seen him since. I honestly, I don't even really remember exactly where that church was to this day. I could find Google Maps probably. But you know what? One day I get to walk into heaven, I get to see Truman. One day, I'll get, when I get to heaven, I get to see Joseph. Joseph was the best man of my wedding. He got saved down there in the islands. My father-in-law actually led him to the Lord. But I got to do Bible studies with Brother Joseph. Man, God just, I, I mean, just knit mine and his heart together. And uh, he was, he's a little man. Uh, I mean, strong as an ox. I mean, a man stronger than me and half my size. But, I mean, Joseph just fell in love with the Lord. One day, I get to see Joseph there. And we don't know. But you know what the profit of the church is? It's those we gain when we when we give in the offering plate when we put money in the offering plate to the missions. You say, well, I don't know, I don't know what you know if anybody ever gets saved. You don't. God does. Uh, one of our supporting churches over in Chattanooga area on their on their wall they've got a, a thermometer. And it's got a number of how, many, how much money they give every year towards missions. You know, they've got their goal, and, and every month they, they move it up a little bit. But on the other wall, there's another one. And he said, We never change, uh, he said, We never take that down every year, but I can't remember, it was over 10,000. And I said, Well, what's that number for? And he said, That's how many souls have been saved through our missions giving. He said, When a missionary writes back and says, Hey, we had we had one saved, he said, we add a number to it. Yeah. And so he said, you know, if somebody gets saved in our, in our outreach, he said, we add a number to it. He said, because that's our missions. Our missions is here and our missions is there. He said, so every time we see a number, he said, we, we bump it up another one. You say, well, what are some of them getting saved? Well, I don't know. But how many got saved that we don't know about? Yeah. Yeah. We don't know. I've given out thousands of tracks, and most of you have, too, knocking on doors. You know what? We never know who got born again and who didn't. I've got a friend of mine. Uh, he, he's over in the, the Trenton area, and he got saved because someone gave him a gospel track. He still had, I mean, I think he, he told me the other day. I was talking to him the other day. He said he actually gave it away accidentally. He said, I pulled up to a gas station. He said, I didn't have a gospel track. He said, I flipped my Bible open, pulled one out and gave it away. He said, I left and realized which one I gave out. So he kept that gospel track he got saved with for a longest time, and then he gave it away. He said, well, I guess I didn't need it anymore. <laughs> I'm praying that lady he gave it to maybe got saved. Wouldn't that be nice? I know we were in Mexico. We were in uh, passing out tracks in, in, in Topeka, Mexico. And we got out. I don't, we were passing out those chick tracks. And they say in Mexico, when you give out one, typically five people will read it because they'll pass it around to their family and they all read it. You know what? We never know. I even wondered sometimes. I was 17 years old. I uh, just turned 17 years old. was in uh, Mexico. Couldn't speak a bit of Spanish. I took my banjo down there. Do you know what they call banjo in Spanish? Bonjo. It sounds like a banjo or a banjo. Uh, you know, the toilet. Uh, <laughs> So I played the toilet. So uh but but in all that we we never know. We never know. I, I've always wondered. But we won't know until we get there. But that's what our prophet is. So we have a prophet in the ministry, uh in, in the church. But there's one thing here in the the, the latter part of this chapter that, that's been stuck on my mind for a couple of days. And verse 36 says this. It says that when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. They all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. One thing about the church is there's always a parting. There's always a parting. That is ultimately the purpose of the church. There ought to be times where we we leave. As missionaries, we leave. You guys are about to leave. Well, you're back and forth, but you're going to leave. Leaving is never fun. When y'all get down to the field, can I just be honest with you? We, We left, we raised all of our support, we got down to the field. We we didn't get in until, I mean, it was it was 8 or 9 o'clock by the time we finally got to the house. Traveled down there, got the kids in bed. I woke up that morning, and can I just be 100% honest with you? I thought I missed the will of God. I literally was like, I'm in the wrong place. I was looking for a way to go home. I thought that I, when I got there, I thought, oh, no, I've missed the will of God. I shouldn't be here. You know why? Because the devil don't want you to stay. The devil did everything he could to keep me from getting there. And when I got there, he finally said, all right, you're in the wrong place. I felt like I was in the wrong spot. But I wasn't. But that's when the reality began to set in. See, we we put so much energy getting to the field. And then when you finally get there, you're like, what did I just do? (laughs) Because now everything that I've told churches for three and a half years now I actually have to do it, and that reality sets in well we've we've gone, we've came back and we've gone, we've come back. It gets tired to leave, but I wrote this in my Bible. it may not be profound to you, it may not be anything special. But I wrote this in my Bible. It simply says eternity is worth a lifetime of sacrifice. Eternity is worth a lifetime of sacrifice. I can give all of my life. I'm 35 years old. I've I've been involved in ministry since I was really younger than 17, but really 17. I've not been in it that long. I hope to live all of my life for the Lord. I want to give everything in the ministry. I don't, I don't want to quit. I, look, I love to build. I love building houses. I love doing that kind of stuff. But I just don't find any joy in it anymore. But I want to give everything I can. We, we talk about the sacrifice that a missionary will make. We leave things. We, 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 we walk away from family, from friends. The hardest thing is walking away from people you love. And that's essentially what Paul is doing. See, he had spent three three years at the church at Ephesus. These people weren't just an acquaintance. These were people that were with him and walked with him and prayed with him and loved him. Paul gave everything to these people. So when the Bible says that they wept sore, why? Because they knew they'd never see him again. But is it worth it? Because when we understand that when Paul left here, he goes to Jerusalem. He gets arrested. Paul's arrested, then sent to Rome. We know Paul uh, basically from Rome. The gospel gets to Rome, and guess where it goes from there? The rest of the world. It reaches us. You and I have heard the gospel because Paul was willing to sacrifice was willing to go that's essentially what it boiled down to you say well eternity is worth a lifetime of sacrifice i'm not earning my way to heaven don't get me wrong that's all i'm saying i'm going to heaven i can't lose that i could i could i could throw this away today park the deputation vehicle get a job never hand out another gospel track never witness or anything and i'm going to heaven My salvation does not depend upon my laboring. But I wonder whose does. See, it's not my eternity that I'm working for. It's somebody else's. Because if I don't go back down there, there, there's been a Bible college in St. Vincent. There's been pastors and preachers in St. Vincent for over 50 years. And not one person has started a church in Canawan or Union. Gospel preaching. There's every cult you can find, but I'm talking about gospel preaching. There was a pastor that went and retired on one of those islands. He would hold a little Bible study in his house, but never wanted to make it much. I'll I, be honest with you. I'm just in my flesh a little bit. I want to slap the man. Why would you go set up to, to retire in a place that needs the gospel and not try to get the gospel out? I struggle with that. Be honest with you. I do. But if I don't go, in the last 75 to 50 years, nobody has tried to go. So if I don't, I don't see anybody else going either. So somebody's got to make the sacrifice to go. But eternity, I believe, is worth a lifetime of sacrifice. I'm willing to give, to sacrifice, thing after thing after thing. I, we, we, we're back here in the States, and uh, we're gonna, I'm going to try to do as much as I can with my family, uh, with my wife's family, so the kids can enjoy things. But you know what? We're going back. And come November, December, we pack our bags, we load the truck, we, we ship the tents and the chairs and the tables and everything else God gives us, we're going to ship down to the island, and I'm going to move down there. And I'm going to take my family, and I'm going to take them away from Grandma and Papa, which they're probably going to leave before, but all their aunts, their uncles, their cousins, and everybody. Well, I'm going to walk them away from all of them. Why? For people like that. You say, is that that hard? You have no idea how hard it is to walk away from it. But it's worth it. It's worth it. But I told my wife the other day, I, I, it never really just stuck in my mind until the other day. But the Bible says, and they accompanied him unto the ship. You notice they went as far as they could with him. till they couldn't go any further. We've had to leave and I've purposely left in ways that make it easier on my family. We've said our goodbyes and then we've drove to the airport. Because it's easier. It's easier to say goodbye and then go home and then drive to the airport. But what's nice is when the churches are behind you all the way. All the way. There's no doubt in my mind the way that they left. that These people probably prayed for Paul. Continuously. Paul may have been on the ship by himself, but I'm sure the prayers went with him. Church, can I can I just end it this way? You you've got missionaries on your back wall, the prayer letters. Uh, we, we were just looking back at everybody. You know, I know this one. I know that us missionaries. We like, well, I know this guy. I know this guy. You know, and it's neat because we we, we find out who all we know. You know, brother Kindheart. You know, uh, we. Brother Kindhart's at our mission board. And, uh, what is he, your uncle? And I never knew that. Brother Kindheart, Me, I, I love Brother Kindhart. Well, you know, we make those connections, but those missionaries need your prayers. But can I just be honest with you? If you want missions to become real, talk to the missionaries. Talk to them. Me and Brother Stamper... Um, we, we've become friends and we never even met each other. Not until what? A couple months ago? A month ago? Brother Simpsons. Well, we become friends. I've prayed for y'all's church. I've prayed for your meetings. And I've never been here. But I can be here praying for your church just like you can be in Beckway, in Canawan, Miro, in Union, in Mexico, in, uh, in Peru, in Japan, in, in Israel. I may not be able to ever step foot in those places, but I can pray. And I know that may not seem much, but church, I want to challenge us. The Bible said in verse 36, I'll read it again, and he kneeled down and prayed with them all kneeled down and prayed with them all the greatest thing we can do is pray for one another we as the missionaries the greatest thing we can do is pray for our supporting churches they don't always keep up with you but pray for them I've come back and found out well this pastor's been gone and this pastor's gone and this, one's ha- this has happened, that's happened so, well, nobody told me. I didn't know. I've been praying for the same pastor at one church for a while, and he'd been gone for like three years. I didn't even know. Still been praying for him. But I sat before we come back. I, I was cleaning out a barrel that we had some personal stuff in, and I was cleaning some stuff out. And I found a. I had a Ziploc bag. I guess somehow got stuck in the bottom of a barrel with a bunch of prayer cards. Deputation eight years ago. And I began just kind of flipping through the cards. And then I started making a stack on one side of the missionaries I know are still in the field. And the ones that aren't. I'll just be honest with you. I probably had over fifty prayer cards, and there was more that were off the field than those that were on. I'll tell you, be honest with you, it was a little convicted because I had their prayer cards in the bottom of a barrel for nearly eight years. Some of them I prayed for, some of them I knew, some of them I had other prayer cards. But for whatever reason, that stack was just in a barrel. Some of them, I'll be honest with you, were the ones that you guys will know this. You know, you're in a meeting and that missionary is going to get it done. And that missionary never got it done. One one after another, that some of them couldn't go back. Some of them just quit. But I always wondered, Lord, if I'd have prayed for them more, would they have stayed? Would they have stayed? I'm I'm nothing. I'm an absolute nobody but I do know I've got a lot of churches and a lot of people that pray for us. And I'll be honest, the times that I've wanted to quit, the times that I've wanted to just pack my bags and go home, I don't know who, I don't know where, there's no doubt in my mind there's a church somewhere. Maybe a husband and wife, maybe an old lady single, widowed, Got down and pulled out my old prayer card. I'm going to pray for this missionary. There's an older gentleman, my wife, her wedding band or wedding ring or engagement ring, whatever that one is. The diamonds in it are from an older missionary, Brother Gordon Carpenter. He uh, died years ago. Brother Carpenter, him and his wife never had children. My mom was real close to them, and so through them, we got the diamonds. I put them in a different ring. But Brother Carpenter tells a story about when he was on a trip, I believe, in Africa. And he said when he was in Africa, he'd done something he wasn't supposed to do. He took his shoes off. When they were in the little hut, they had hiked through the night got somewhere. And he said in the middle of the night, he heard a noise, and he woke up. And he said when he woke up, he he reached for a light and he heard a noise. And he stopped and started hollering for somebody to come. They come in with a light. When they came in there, there was a a snake, some kind of cobra of some sort, right close to his face. He said that the the men of the village came in, they killed the snake and took it out. No big deal, they went back to sleep. He said, of course, that was back years ago, the mail. And don't worry, if the wall stings you, we'll know. All right? And um, he said it was several months or several weeks later, he got a letter from an older lady. And she had had a child, and she was up nursing that child that night. And wrote in that letter, and basically said, Brother Carpenter, she said, I prayed for you. And she explained the story. She said, I was up nursing my sick child. And he said, God brought your face to my mind. And she said, I saw you. And she said, I saw a snake. And she said, I began to pray for you. And called out on God. She said, over and over again, she says, I was weeping and crying. This wasn't a prideful statement. This was a personal letter between her and Brother Carpenter. And she said, I just want to know. She said, she gave the date and the time and everything. He said, he figured it up. And it was that night said he wrote back to her and explained the story and all that. But I've always thought about that story. And it's true. There's no doubt in my mind it's a true story. I know evangelists make up things a lot of times. This one I believe is true. If you ever knew the man, you'd know it's true. But it all hinged. Because Brother Carpenter would make the statement, he said, I'd probably been dead if it wasn't for that lady praying." We don't know what our prayers do. and Can I be honest with you? As a missionary, one of my greatest mess-ups is not praying enough. Church, can I just be honest with you? I think we ought to pray. Brother, I don't know how you want to end the service, but I'm going to turn it over to you. But I, I, I really believe And we want to get our our church on fire for getting missions out. There's a lot of things we can do. But I know when Nehemiah, when that revival started for the nation of Israel, it all started with him praying. He realized the condition of his own people. Prayed for four months until God opened up the door. We, I'm not about revival, I don't, I'm more about obedience. <laughs> we don't need revival as much as we need just act of obedience. Yeah. If we learn to obey, we'd be fine. Everybody wants God to do some miraculous thing when He's already told us what to do. Yeah. And He told us to pray. Church, I need your prayers. These other missionaries need your prayers. And church, can I be honest with you? Your first missionary is your pastor. He needs your prayers. And your church members need your prayers. The ones you work with here need your prayers. We ought to pray.